Good morning, church. The scripture reading for today is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Christ, how wide. 
Let's look at this passage. We're, we're picking back up where we left off in Ephesians before my travels last weekend to see my mom down in Georgia and my sister. They all live in Savannah, and, and uh, it was uh, snowing here, and it was raining there. February is just like that weather-wise. My thanks to Taylor for filling in for me. Uh, it's very nice to be able to hand off, and I appreciate uh, where you took the church last week. This passage that uh, Mark Gosney, one of our elders, uh, read for us, and by the way, just so you know, you're, you're going to see more of our elders in services now. One of the uh, things we feel led by the Lord to do is include our, our session elders more in praying and in uh, readings and just in giving you information, and so uh, the elders are, are more visible and more front and center, and we want to communicate through that that we are a plurality of leadership. It's not just coal and first of Ann. It's uh, coal as part of a plurality of elders, and all of us are, are leading and praying for the church and, and seeking to take the church in the direction God would have us. But you look at a passage like this that Mark read for us, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 is our text, and just as you look at it, you see that we got a lot of stuff on the top shelf here. Uh, there's more in this passage I can adequately talk about. For instance, uh, our being filled with all the fullness of God, verse 19, end of verse 19, see it there? I don't know entirely what that means, but I want it, all right? Uh, And besides verse 19, the first part of verse 19 says uh, that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge anyway. So we are reaching up to things on the top shelf here, But I do see that love is the way God gets his fullness to us. And I do know the fullness of God is Christ. This prayer, I want to suggest to you, it prays the gospel into us. The gospel is a message we proclaim, but it's also something that gets prayed into us, that we pray into one another. Ephesians is a gospel-rich book. And this prayer prays the gospel into us. And here's essentially what the prayer is about. That the love of God for us will transfer his power to us so that we look like people Jesus indwells. That's this prayer. This prayer is that the love of God for us will transfer his power to us so that we look like the people Jesus indwells. Now, this prayer, if you want to put it in a picture, it's kind of like an on-ramp. You know, you you take on-ramps up onto highways in that what's prayed here takes us out onto a kind of thoroughfare that Ephesians has been moving to, and that's chapters 4 through 6, which we'll start getting into after Missions Conference next week. But the response we make to God is spelled out for us in chapters 4 through 6 to come. 
So far in Ephesians, we've been told about what God's done for us. Then in chapters four to six, we are told how we are to respond to what God has done for us. And this prayer is like an on-ramp up to that. So for instance, look down at uh, chapter four, verse one. Chapter four, verse one, where he says, Paul says he's a prisoner for the Lord. He urges us, here's our first thing to do. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And he begins to flesh that out. This is how the gospel works. The gospel works first with we come to see that God has done something for us and then we do something in response. The way the gospel works here in this passage is first we come to see that we are worth being loved. God gives us worth and before we, in the words of chapter 4 verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, we square up to what it means that we're worth being loved because that's what this prayer at the end of chapter 3 is getting at. Now, I know when I say something like you are worth being loved, some of you are wary of how I'm putting that. Maybe that's because you were, like me, spiritually formed under the influence of teaching that gave you the sense that we really are rather worthless to God. It's also known as worm theology. Or maybe we, we overreact a lot of us overreact to uh, cultural positivity messaging, self-esteem messaging, which if you buy into, you think, well, of course, I, I'm, I'm uh, worth uh, being loved. And you, and you begin to assert that. But then if your self-esteem really has been trampled on or you've messed up big time and someone holds that over you and shames you for it, you think... Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I am not worth being loved. But the gospel says we are. Even in our sin, both unrighteous and self-righteous expressions of it. The gospel proclamation, remember Romans 5, 8? While we were yet sinners, God shows his love for us. And the sin was not just unrighteous, it was also self-righteous. While you were in that... God showed his love for us. And this prayer at the end of chapter 3 is that gospel being prayed into us. So you may enjoy your Peloton instructor telling you how much you crushed that workout. Uh, but you don't need those words to feel a certain way about yourself when the gospel is prayed into you. Uh, you may get disgusted with yourself over some failure in your life. But the gospel prayed into us keeps us from self-loathing and the despair that that creates. The gospel keeps us from becoming self-absorbed, devoted to our self-esteem, and the gospel keeps us from becoming self-loathing. This prayer is the gospel prayed into us that the love of God for us will transfer his power to us so that we look like the people Jesus indwells, which... Really, the next three chapters of Ephesians flesh out. What does it look like to be a people Jesus indwells? Wait till we get into chapters 4, 5, and 6. Before we go any further, let me just ask you, do you believe, do you really believe that God actually does love you? Let's let that hang in the air for a second. Do you, state your name, really believe 
God actually does love you. See, that should come through here at the end of chapter 3. And it's meant to provide us the knowledge that God really does love us. It's meant to provide for us a kind of deep encouragement that's still there even when everything feels discombobulated, turned around, upside down, right side, sideways. That God really does love us is meant to provide the kind of deep encouragement still there when we are subjected to gut-wrenching tragedies, as some of our own church members have experienced this very week. That God really does love us. The truth that rings out from this prayer provides the kind of deep encouragement still there when it turns out a gospel hero was a wolf in sheep's clothing, or when you were once again watching a loved one spiral down in their addiction, that God really does love us is a transcendent truth. That means it's, it's over everything. I read a sermon uh, just yesterday. I was reading something else, uh, a site that I visit for different articles. And they linked in this article to a sermon by a London preacher recently given, and I was glad I I linked on it. I'm not familiar with the preacher, but his text was the end of Job. And he said this, and I thought, boy, this, this is so apropos to what we're talking about in Ephesians. Here's this preacher from London's words. Quote, in most cases, our faith is based on an assumption that if there is a God, the job of that God is to fix human problems. The so-called problem of suffering assumes that God's role is to bring health and flourishing. And if God fails to do that, God is either harmful to us or he is weak. But what if God's role, this preacher from London asks, what if God's role is to be with us always? In person, in Jesus, in myriad ways through the Holy Spirit and forever in heaven. That doesn't make suffering go away, but it turns God's engagement with suffering from a cause to reject him into a reason to worship him. Now, I get deep encouragement from that, him pondering this question, what if God's role is to be with us always? His role is not to fix everything. That's our default notion. That's what we we think we want him to do, is fix everything. What if God's role is to be with us always? We've even sung that in this very service. I get deep encouragement from that. Look, I'm told at times I need to preach more upbeat messages. Uh, I hope you've never heard me as a downer. But I have talked to you a lot about suffering, and I've done so very purposefully. Bryce Bouchard, Bryce is one of our missionaries. He's a navigator over at Oklahoma University. He reminded me once uh, that he asked me for um, ministry advice to use with college students. College students are, are where he's ministering on the college campus. And, and uh, he reminded me that I told him, uh, prepare them for suffering. And he said he's gotten a lot of miles out of that. He was thankful I told him that. I'm not a grim person. But I would actually be failing you if I was only ever upbeat with you. 
I kind of feel sorry, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll read uh, the way churches sort of style their services and what, the way they talk about their services online, and they're, they're always talking about it's upbeat, it's always positive here. And I feel sorry in those situations um, because much of life in this world is about managing pains of all kinds and disappointments and frustrations and fundamental to managing and navigating all of that is knowing for sure that God really does love you. Read it. It's in this passage. Memorize it. Tattoo it on you. Get a tattoo. It's okay. That the love he loves us with, yes, it's limitless and boundless, and we get that in this passage, but it's also so personal. And you cannot tell Christians that enough. It's not a crutch. It's an anchor. Because this world, even if you succeed in this world, even if you have a lot of good, glorious, glad times in this world, the world is still a hard place. And you will encounter the hardness at some point. I told you at the beginning of this sermon, there's more in this prayer than I can adequately talk about. Another example is verse 18. The dimensions of his love for us are immeasurable. Look at it, verse 18, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. That's, that's purposefully unmeasurable. How do you talk about that adequately? The Spirit of God works this into us over time. He works it into us in our joyous seasons and in our painful seasons, and the effect when this drills down into us, it's not we become self-absorbed with our own loveliness. It's not narcissistic. It's, it's Christocentric. I showed you chapter 4, verse 1, where we're going to pivot next time to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And the calling with which you've been called is all this content in the first three chapters. Look at what it looks like, verse 2 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. How can you do that? On your own, you can't. So this prayer at the end of chapter 3 is an on-ramp to looking like the people Jesus indwells. As verse 17 says in the prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does that look like, Christ dwelling in us? It looks like chapters 4 through 6. That's a main highway. The way we go to look like the people Jesus indwells is stretching out before us here. This prayer is the on-ramp. It takes us up onto the main highway of the response that we make to God. Let me do this in the time that I've got left. Let me show you what the requests are in this prayer. There are two. And then let me make three applications. Let me show you the two requests this prayer makes and then give you three applications. And that's the message. This prayer makes two requests of God. The first one is in verses 16 and 17 that God will strengthen us with his power. That's one of the requests the prayer makes. That God will strengthen us by his power. Strengthen us with his power. We will not get very far on the highway of response to him without his power at work in us. So that's the first 
requests, verses 16 and 17, that God will strengthen us with his power. The other request is the rest of verse 17 on down to verse 19, and that is that we will grasp what it means to be loved by God. I've already been speaking a little bit to this so far in the message, but there it is. Two requests. If you're looking at the whole passage, verses 14 to 21, note that verses 14 and 15 is orientation. This is a prayer to the God who calls someone from everyone to himself. Orientation. For this reason, verse 14, what reason? Look back up in verses 1 to 13. That God is calling a community of Gentiles, someone from everyone, to himself. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's just another way of affirming God's purposes for the Gentiles. So this is orientation, verses 14 to 15. And then at the end, verses 20 and 21, is doxology, which is just a fancy word for praise. It's a word of praise. We're praising God, verses 20 and 21. There are no degrees of difficulty for him. In context here, when he says in verse 20, he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. In context here, there's no one he cannot change. There's no one he cannot work in. As the prophet Jeremiah put it centuries before Paul, nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32. So between the orientation, verses 14 and 15, and the doxology, verses 20 and 21, the prayer, the innards of the prayer is that the love of God for us will transfer his power to us so that we look like the people Jesus indwells in chapters 4 through 6 will fill that in for us. Now let's apply it. Spend the rest of the time here on application. I'll give you three applications, a when, a where, and a who, and the who is plural. A when, a where, and a who. First application has to do with when, when you pray. When you pray, when you pray for other Christians, what do you pray when you pray for other Christians? Well, you pray Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19. You pray that people will be strengthened with God's power. You pray that people will grasp what it means to be loved by God. So when you pray, pray Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19. But here's all you have to say to be praying this passage. All you have to say when you want to pray this passage is, Lord, make your gospel work powerfully in Andrew. Or whoever it is you're praying. Lord, make your gospel work powerfully in Kim. Lord, make your gospel work powerfully in that church that's struggling with their direction and their identity and they're at each other. Make your gospel work powerfully in whomever you want to put in that blank. And when you're praying that, embedded within that statement is everything that's here in Ephesians 3. I did this for you a few weeks ago. We were looking at the other prayer in Ephesians. Remember, Ephesians has two prayers. The first one is in chapter 1, and we were looking at that prayer in chapter 1 a few weeks ago, and I told you that if you want to pray everything that's in those verses, 
You just simply say, Lord, make him, make her know you better. Make them to know you better. And when you pray that, everything in chapter 1, that prayer, is embedded in that. That's the point of it. Make them to know you better. Well, same here in chapter 3. Make your gospel work powerfully in them. And when you pray that, embedded in that prayer is everything here in this prayer. All of its language, all of its beauty. You're praying in, Ephes- in praying Ephesians 3, you're praying that the one you pray for will grasp what it means to be loved by God. That the gospel working powerfully in us, that when this gets into our bloodstream in such a way that it doesn't uh, cause us to, to lose orientation when life is confusing, we don't give it up when life is hard. When you pray for someone, make them to know you better or make your gospel work powerfully in him or her, you are praying that that person you're praying for will be easily edified by the love of God for them. That none of us would ever say, you know, I need more than that. Yeah, yeah, I know. God loves me. I got it. I need more. No. The love of God for us in Jesus is itself the highest and the best and the richest thing that we know. I mean, you may as well try to empty out the Mississippi River with additional snow melt by teaspoons than to think you can exhaust the love of God. Second application has to do with where. Where? Look at the word dwell, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your heart's through faith. Christ indwelling us, we indwelling, uh, or we, we in Christ, Christ dwelling in us. The, the Bible talks about this in, in both directions. It talks about Christ dwelling in us, and it talks about us being in Christ. But this idea of residing, I've talked to you before in other messages, other years, about the difference between behavior modification and personal renovation. That Jesus doesn't bring us into his life to affect behavior modification. That's not what the next three chapters promote. The next three chapters, which are the response we give God for all he's done for us, is renovation in effect. And it's open house. Do you like home renovation shows? I bet a lot of you do. I always seem to encounter HGTV when I'm in a waiting room and I'm trying to read. How rude. You know. At the dentist, at the doctor, you know. It's always HGTV. I like the car shows myself. If I'm going to watch something get, you know, put back together and become something it wasn't, uh, I like seeing that happen to cars. But I get the appeal of home renovation shows. We like these shows. Because we love the before and after. That's what we love. The old decor is gone. You know, they showed you before and they walked into this place and, oh, you know, who was the decorator for this? Uh, And it may have just been the era it was decorated in, but all that's gone. And then the after, it's like, whoa, look at that. Or there was this cramped living space and expanded it or, or depending upon the skills and creativity of the 
the renovators, certain things can be repurposed, uh, or, or they found these wonderful old hardwood floors buried under layers of carpet and linoleum peeling, and, and they got back down to those floors, restored and renewed them. We, we love, we love before and after. When Christ, by his Spirit, takes up residence within us, as verses 16 and 17 say, you and I are his wear. When Christ, by his Spirit, takes up residence within us, his renovation, his renovation power affects a, a before and after. It may be immediate, it may not be. It will probably be at times immediate and other times very gradual. But his renovation power affects a before and after. You're still you, but you in Christ. And that means, inevitably, there will be differences in your character. There will be differences in your conduct. Your loves will be in order. And when they're not, you'll be known by your repentance. You'll show contrition when you've got it wrong. A renovator committed to the project of renovation doesn't give up on it. I mean, he'll see it through. She'll see it through. It's, it's not behavior modification that God is after. The chapters that follow, all the exhortations to come in chapters 4 through 6, we'll get into a lot of do this, don't do that, be this, don't be that way. All of that is what Christ in residence looks like. And so he says, verse 16, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see that in verse 16? That doesn't mean private. My faith is private. My faith is personal, but not private. It's never just between me and God. Our faith, collectively, is personal. It's not private. It's never just between us and God. The renovating work that Jesus Christ does in our lives is public. It's open house. And so he goes on into verse 17. Well, verse 16, you'd be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he goes down into the next request. But what's the, what's the point of his power strengthening us? So we look like people in whom Christ resides, and it's open house. <laughs> uh, Doug Enoch in our church, many of you know Doug, he's an architect. And years ago, um, I was uh, told this story. I, I called Doug this morning to confirm it with him, and he said, I can't, ex I do remember, but I don't remember. I'm going to go with your memory. So here's how I remembered it. Uh, Doug uh, designed a house out in Germantown, beautiful house, and it was an open, open house time, and as open houses do, any, anybody from the public can come in and mill about the house, and so Doug went to the open house. He's in this house that he designed, and he goes into this room, and there's a woman uh, in the room who is ripping the design of the bathroom and happens to say something, doesn't know that the architect is actually now standing in the room in earshot, and says something to the effect of, can you believe, turns to Doug and says, can you believe the architect did this to this bathroom? And Doug, you know, it, it played along very, uh, very, very modest and said, yeah, something must be quite wrong with this uh, architect to do that like that. 
Get ready for people to criticize Jesus' open house in you. When what he's doing in you isn't appreciated by them, and I mean even other Christians. We may wonder why Christians suffer the same kinds of things people without Christ suffer. You know, why, why doesn't God protect us from the worst realities of life? I can't tell you why not. I can give you some angles and aspects to think about, but I can't tell you why not. I can tell you that the world is to see a difference. I know this. The world is to see a difference in how we manage troubles and trials, how we process grief, where we fix our hopes and dreams. The world is to see a difference that Christ indwelling us makes, that I can be devastated by something, but not destroyed. I can be cut down by something. I can be withered by something, but I'm not going to collapse. Why? Because my fortitude is better than most? No, not at all. Because I have the power of God available to me in the person of Jesus Christ indwelling me, and that is a renewable resource. The love of God for me transfers his power to me so that I look like a person Jesus indwells. Third and final application. First application was when, when we pray. What do we pray? We say, Lord, make your gospel work powerfully in him or her. And that's praying this prayer in essence. Second application had to do with where. What being strengthened by God's power looks like is personal renovation that turns you and I into his open house. And in an open house, people are going to do all kinds of things. Criticize it. Some of them just walk in just to criticize it. Some of them walk in uh, drawn to it and, and they, want to be, uh, they want to dwell here themselves or they, or they dream about it. Chapters 4 through 6 will give us the decor of Christ dwelling in us. Third application now has to do with who. And the who is plural. Notice verse 18. That we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. And then he moves into the love that surpasses knowledge. But all the saints are to get this. All the saints. All the saints. All the saints. It has never more in our lifetimes been as tempting to turn our faith into a solo customized experience than right now. If you've ever been disaffected from the church and the fellowship of the people of God, it's probably now. We're seeing a lot of that happen around us. People saying, I'm done at that church. I'm done with that pastor. I'm moving on over here. Or I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I got used to doing church at home. Just do it there. It has never more in our lifetimes been as tempting to turn your faith into a solo customized experience than right now. But this truth remains. Jesus still always comes with his people attached. Always. And he has eclectic tastes, by the way. His tastes are to bring so many dissimilar people in on the riches of his goodness and glory. And we resist that. We don't like his tastes. We want it to be that uh, God puts us among people who are just like us, think the same thoughts we think, like the same leaders we like, pull for the same teams we pull for, 
live in the same kinds of communities, go to the same kinds of schools. We want that. That's what we want. And it never really occurs to us that the more we yearn for that and grasp at that and fight for that, that we're working against what God is working for us. He brings many dissimilar people in on his rich goodness and glory, and he makes himself our common ground and his gospel our common experience and our common sense and source of of rightness. See, our response to him is not to resist and keep ourselves from those people and that church. It's, It's to find out what he has in mind and give ourselves to that. And bringing us in on this experience with all the saints of learning the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. I tend to think about it as north and south and east and west, that they have really no end, you know. Chapter 4 is going to emphasize the unity of the church. And I tell you, I need that emphasis because apart from Christ working in me, I have no doubt I would be an incredibly self-centered man. But even though I know that about myself, I also know that I'm loved with a love that surpasses knowledge, verse 19. A love that gets me in somehow, some way, on being filled with all the fullness of God. Love is the way God gets his fullness to us. And his fullness, we know from other places in the New Testament, his fullness is in Jesus. You get Jesus, you get all of God, all that he has to give of himself to us. If it's not impossible for God to renovate me, and that's essentially what verse 20 says. I mean, we kind of use verse 20 as a tagline for a lot of things. You know, Lord, I'm going to ask you for this little bit here, but I know you can do exceedingly and abundantly, you know, depending on the translation you learn it. And I know you can do more, but in context here, if verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly while we ask or think, there's no one he can't change. There's no one he can't deepen. And deep in, and deep in scripture is not a, a, a sense of knowledge. You know, we Some of us get, you know, I want the deep knowledge. I want deep teaching. And depth in in Scripture is about the love of Christ for us. Comprehending that, gaining that. And and, and it's going to push you more toward the church. Even if you feel repelled from the church, you're going to still be pushed more toward the church. Because you know that's how you experience the people of God. I remember me pointing uh, out verse 2 in chapter 4 earlier. Look at again verse 2 in chapter 4. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. How do you learn any of that except by dealing with people you don't want to be around? How do you learn that? How do you learn patience? Except by, by being put with people who work on your impatience. How do, you, how do you learn how to bear with one another in love? You know what bearing is? It's bearing. <laughs> it's not happy times. It's you have burdens and I will help you carry them. Or you are kind of a burden to me in the way that you are. But I will keep moving toward you in love. What kind of love? Well, the love that I have to generate. No, it's not the love I have to generate. 
It's the love that we've been shown. It's the love that we've been given. It's the love that shines in our hearts by the work and the fruit of Jesus Christ. It's his love. We share that with one another. Even if I can't say a nice thing to you because I'm so angry with you, you know, or you're angry with me and you can't say a nice thing to me, we can say, you're loved by God, man. You're loved by God, and that's everything. That's everything. People in our awkwardness, people in our foolishness, people in our pride, that's who all the saints include. And Jesus wants us all. He wants us all. The gospel doesn't just preach to us, it prays into us also. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, the power that comes to us by way of love, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can look in your word and that we can see what was prayed for us eons ago and is still prayed for us and that we can pray for one another. When we pray, that we would pray according to this passage. Lord, that we would not miss the who is plural, all the saints. That we would point one another to the love of Christ for us. You would remove from us, Lord, the desire to be in each other's way or to correct one another incessantly. And that we would turn to how can we encourage How can we draw other people around us to how good the love of God for us in Christ is, mediated to us by your Spirit? Thank you for the the Trinitarian beauty of this passage, that we bow before the Father in thanksgiving for the Son, whose love and power comes through to us through your Spirit. We're grateful, Lord, that you give us passages like this that keep us mindful of all the good that we have in you. The world is hard and harsh. And it's not even easy inside the church. The world comes into the church. The church participates in the culture of the world. But Lord, um, keep us moving toward your people. Keep us moving with your people. Keep us together as a people. Not just in this place on a Sunday morning, but in each other's lives. That no one would be without a burden bearer in our church. That all of us experience patience and humility and gentleness with one another. That we show one another your love for us is your love for all of us. And we're grateful that we can affirm this and celebrate this and enjoy this and export this, which I pray we will in Jesus' name. Amen.